0: Welcome everybody, I'm Mark Fox, CEO of NetEvents, and delighted to partner with Nikhil Batra of IDC for this particular event, covering the right transformation strategy for getting ahead in the digital economy. I'd like to hand over to Nikhil to chair this session and introduce our speakers for today. Nikhil, over to you. Thanks Mark, and
1: welcome. Welcome to the members of press and media joining us today. As well as our panellists, uh, who have all taken out time from their busy schedules to be with here, uh, be with us here today. Uh, today we have uh, Raja from Cargill, uh, Raman from Johnson and Creek, Anil from Olam, and uh, Amitabh from Tata Communications joining us for this session. Where we're essentially going to talk about the right transformation strategy for getting ahead in the digital economy. Right now, the last. A couple of years, three, four years, in fact, have been very different leading up to the where there was a lot of discussion around digital transformation, organizations doing different things to get themselves ready. And then it the, was thrown upon us and uh, organizations had taken different strategies uh, in terms of how do we address that? How do we address the challenges? There's been a different journey for different kinds of organizations. And that's what we are going to explore as we go through our session today through this. Now, we're going to talk about the transformation strategy of how we move through this. Now, I'm talking about some of the journey for organizations. We've always had a business continuity uh, minded approach to what do we do when something doesn't function? What do we do when something doesn't work? And that whole business continuity went for a toss when we when, when the hit us, because in addition to just Ensuring business continuity, uh, organizations were struggling and grappling with the changing scenarios, the rapidly evolving situations, snap. One day there's a lockdown, the other days there's not. The number of employees who could come into the workplace were restricted, where you could travel was restricted. The supply chain uh, for pretty much all the organizations were uh, impacted. And as a result, uh, what we saw was and what we realized and organizations realized over a period of time that it's it's actually time for a new approach to resiliency where we are moved from the generic business continuity approach to uh, enhancing that approach. And then also going and in fact, going to a scenario where you are uh, not just addressing challenges, but you are able to rapidly respond rapidly or, uh, or to the extreme changes in the external environment. And to that effect, when we When you look at this, IDC came up with this, that digital adaptation is that first stage, right? Where you are adopting digital digital technologies to help you transform. So cloud technologies, IoT, uh, along with workplace transformation when you have so many employees working remotely. Uh, But in addition to that, uh, what we found was that technology being a critical component, but there has to be a digital acceleration uh, along with digital resiliency, which helps uh, organizations achieve that stature of a future enterprise. So, as we move forward, right, we'll see how we see organizations across Asia-Pacific uh, are on their on their journey, uh, what percentage of organizations are in each of the stages. So, as I said, we've, we've been talking about moving from business continuity to that stature of digital resiliency. In Asia-Pacific re- uh, region, we found out that there was a, there were only about 5% of organizations uh, who had no resiliency plans in place, and they even had no intention to invest in uh, building some of these capabilities. Uh, about one-sixth of organizations, or 16%, had some basic business continuity planning, and this was prior to uh, but they did not plan to expand on that uh, because they felt whatever they were doing was good enough for them, or because of the challenges with their revenues, because of their revenues and uh, top line being hit, they were not able to invest uh, in furthering their business continuity plans. About 29% of organizations felt that they, they needed to expand their resiliency plans. Uh, and as a result, they expanded their business continuity plans with their workplace transformation, with some of the moving some of the workloads to cloud so that they could be accessed from outside of the company's VPN and intranets too, in mm-hmm. certain cases. And they expanded these resiliency plans to support requirements of the But they never thought that they would go beyond the, with those plans. So this was a, a band-aid kind of a situation. But if you see, this makes up about 50% of organizations, but there were rest 50% of organizations who were expanding with a future approach in mind who were expanding to respond to the future business disruptions uh, with situations like the in future could arise. And they were working towards addressing those challenges. So 34% of them uh, mentioned that they have started working on their resiliency plans and 16% were even further advanced along their journey who said that they are prepared for any future business disruptions actively invested. And in fact, uh, Taken this and treated this as not just a challenge, but also as an opportunity to leapfrog some of their competition. Like I was talking to a CIO at a manufacturing firm in Thailand a couple of days back, who mentioned that they'd actually invested a lot more in the operations transformations for their plants to leapfrog some of their competitors, and not just treat it as a challenge that they had to had to address during the. So as you listen to through this, uh, through this right? I would strongly encourage you to think about where your organizations are, uh, what are the kind of challenges that you've, you've been through, and where do you see yourself on this kind of a journey? Uh, because we'll get to it as we move through uh, the, the discussion. Now, uh, in order to understand right where you are on this journey or how do you get, a, get moving on this uh, future enterprise journey, the first thing is business, businesses should be able to understand where to start. And that starts from assessing where you are. And IDC came up with this digital resiliency framework to help organizations understand two equations. Now, if you you look at this, there are two uh, aspects to it. One, it's the enterprise event respond phases, which is the number one being respond and restore, expand and optimize, and accelerate and innovate. Uh, And then there are six enterprise dimensions Uh, which IDC believes are very critical to achieving that digital resiliency. And I'll touch on these things for for a second. Now, in terms of the the response phases, there are three phases here. Uh, The phase one was around respond or talks about respond and restore, which is essentially about leadership. So it's about responding quickly uh, and effectively to a disruptive event. So how do you respond and restore uh, and remediate any weaknesses uh, the crisis may reveal, you know, across any of the six dimensions mentioned here. Uh, and it typically prioritizes business continuity, uh, crisis management, and communications, not just internally, but with the external, uh, your shareholders, your supply chain, and other factors. The expand and optimize the next stage, It that kind of centers on activities that empower the organizations to look beyond that the immediate effects of the event Uh, and you can then begin to plan on investing for growth, productivity, faster decision making, increasing your customer or expanding your customer outreach, stabilizing some of your uh, supply chain interruptions and then cost reduction uh, are some of the typical priorities that we've seen from CIOs and the CXOs in this phase. And the last phase of this, of this digital resilience framework, uh, framework talks about accelerating and innovating, which, you know, which is typically and largely seen and uh, experienced in organizations which are operating as future enterprises in the making, right? So they are actively working towards becoming two things, becoming agile uh, and uh, adopting technology to address some of the challenges that they are going through. Uh, So the focus there is on incorporating digital resiliency as a core tenet to thrive in, you know, the disruptive aftershocks that we might have for uh, these events. So, I mean, what we've seen over the last couple of years is that uh, despite organizational revenues being impacted, uh, almost 80% of organizations across Asia Pacific mentioned that their revenues were significantly impacted. They were only only about 17% of organizations who said that their ICT spend, uh, their technology, communication, connectivity spend has actually decreased. There's a really large percentage of organization, about 53%, who said that their ICT spending outlook, they're spending more versus their pre-spend and their plans. So what does that mean? That means organizations are looking at this As an opportunity a lot more organizations are looking at this not just as a challenge that they have to get through but they're looking at as an opportunity as i mentioned to leapfrog the competition and i think that's where the opportunity for organizations is and that's where uh, what we see organizations across different verticals uh healthcare retail hospitality uh you can you can name any any number of verticals there, but everybody has been using this opportunity to a different extent. Uh, and the kind of kind of technologies where we see them investing a lot uh, in terms of their priorities uh, is around is around cloud, IoT, uh, software defined networking, because them understanding what all of their other third platform investments uh, means for their enterprise networks, uh, and then moving on to other longer term investments safe across uh, across edge analytics and building those data repositories and data and big data analytics now what we do see is that you know as organizations spend more around technology we've seen the overall enterprise uh, network environment evolve as well i mean earlier an organization used to have a headquarter a couple of region, regional offices maybe a branch office here or there or a f- connecting a factory here or there. But what we've got today is a very, very wide organization environment where you have uh, a data center, you have a lot more workloads in the cloud, a social media, a, mob- a workforce that's more mobile than ever, and including um, are the regional offices, the headquarters and remote offices or the branches which are not gone anywhere. So. I mean, this the the enterprise network environment is a lot more, uh, lot more widely spread. Uh, and when we ask organizations, you know, whether they think that their network infrastructure is well equipped to handle the demands of their future technology spends, uh, and whether do they think that uh, their technology spends or their network spend is matching their technology uh, spends and helping them get the most out of their technology spend, Uh, only 27% of organizations felt that was happening. So 73% of organizations feel that their network doesn't match what they're spending on cloud, IoT, Edge, data, Big Data Analytics and those areas. So that's an area where we've seen organizations constantly evaluate themselves as we move uh, further. So I think this was this this would be a great segue, right, to understand uh, and talk to each of the panelists. Now we have, uh, in terms of understanding, one where they are on their journeys, what were the challenges that they had, and not just a, from a technology point of view, but business processes point of view, supply chain point of view. What were some of the the major business challenges that they uh, that they experienced, and where do they think themselves? Uh, in terms of their organization, is on that five-point scale that we spoke about earlier. Uh, so we can, we'll probably start with uh, Raja, just because you're on the on the left side, top left side of my screen. So uh, Raja, if we can start uh, with you. Uh, so as as we go through, if all of you can please introduce yourself, your organization, and talk about some of the challenges uh, on your on your re- digital resilience journey.
2: Sure. Thanks a lot, Nikhil. This was a good uh, opening. Um, yeah, as um, introduced, uh, my name is Raja. I'm, um, techni- I'm the uh, uh, Assistant Director for Technical Service for Asia Pacific uh, in Cargill, uh, based in uh, Singapore. Um, little bit introduction about Cargill. Cargill is the uh, privately owned company, 160 years old companies um, in the agriculture food supply supply chain. Uh, one of the largest uh, privately owned company in the world. Uh, we have uh, four main segments: agriculture supply chain, food ingredient, animal nutrition, and animal animal protein. So, um, regardless whether there's a big or not, a lot of these uh, digital transformation has been started, you know, four four years ago already, four to five years ago. So, what difference does that make now with the digit? Uh, we just speeding up some of the things that we already thought, thought about it, we just try to make it faster how we can complete those items because of the change the way that business is running, our customer also changing how actually um, they're engaging with us. So largely, we, we are, the way that Kaggle is looking in, in terms of um, the future plan is in the three uh, main areas. One it is on the uh, digitize our supply chain, What does that mean is that uh, we have a program to implement a smart manufacturing uh, in all our plant, um, trying to use the data to make sure that we can maximize the production yield, how we can um, uh, make sure that we optimize the power consumption, the water, and so on and so forth. Um, How can we use the digital twins when we change some of the parameters in the production line? How can we um, predict what the output would be so those things that we are covering under the smart manufacturing program. Under the same umbrella of a digitized of a supply, supply chain, we also look at the intelligent supply, supply chain. What does that mean is that how can we bring a transparency where the food is coming, coming from? For example, using a blockchain uh, and, and make sure that the chocolate that we are eating is coming from the farm that we take care of, the welfare of the people so that, you know, it is all uh, sustainable in the long term, right? So one of the key value of the Cargill is that provide a sustainable, safe, and uh, um, responsible ways uh, for, the, uh, for the world that we are, we are JSAway. So that is the first pillar. The second pillar that we are focusing in transform our approach to the customer and market. In here, we are talking about not just selling a typical traditional agriculture product, but we're also getting into the digital service and the product right how we use our technology and digital to engage our customer right so, so those big transfer transformation is happening as we are speaking we're creating a digital product mobile apps to provide um information to the farmer in uh, in part of the india we're trying to cut the middle middle people so that uh, we can give much better price to the farmers so that the middle uh, people can be uh, uh, removed right so those things we're trying to help the farmers to um, make sure that they can optimize their their yield as well the third area which is very relevant for the today's topic it is the future foundation ready which is very that the basic the first two is talking about external world the last one is talking about the internal world to cargo right in under the future foundation ready we are talking about our erp modernization Cargill the journey for SAP. I mean, implementing SAP for past 10 years, and we continue to do because the size of the Cargill is big, right? We continue to do that. And for non-ERP system, we are trying to modernize that, moving into the cloud. Uh, My team is responsible to do the cloud uh, application modernization, right? And not only the apps layer, but also in the infrastructure. We, as uh, what Nikhil mentioned, we already in the last phase of deploying software defined uh, wide area network and we are engaging in a lot of our telecom partners in this call in order to assist us to do that as well and under this umbrella we also focusing obviously the key thing is on the cyber security areas which is very prominent especially um, in this um, duration right we got a lot of uh, vulnerability happening in throughout the world so we put a lot of investment into that so that is what our key focus um, but the itself not changing huge thing but it is trying to uh, accelerate some of the things that we already thinking thinking about thanks again like technique sir like right
1: yeah. great, great Raja. I, I i really like how uh, you know how clearly articulated your strategy and the whole uh, movement is right the digitization of supply chain thinking about the customer and then also internal transformation uh, and being future ready so uh, i think that's there's, there's some real learnings there uh, Raman, if you can possibly talk about what's happening in Johnson and Le- Johnson Electric.
3: Definitely. So thank you, Nikhil. Uh, my name is Raman Mehta. I'm the Senior VP and CIO for Johnson Electric. Uh, let me give some background of uh, what we do, and it will set the context as to how the digital resiliency is kind of becoming the name of the game. It has become a CEO-level discussion. So Johnson uh, grew out of automotive. We are a tier one, tier two supplier. Pretty much supply motion products to all the OEMs throughout the world. We have 35,000 employees in 23 countries and pretty much deal with the the whole supply chain uh, of the automotive. The business segment that's growing faster is our industries product group, where we are supplying motion solutions to your home automation, uh, robotics uh, some of these uh, motors that can go into surgery uh, your dental care with nanometer precision so what has happened in last two years what i call is a triple whammy you've got the uh, the big supply chain uh, container shipping container dis- uh, disruptions and the semiconductor shortage which nobody saw coming you know what happened here was a complete tsunami so what Nikhil said caught my attention. That uh, this is the time to leapfrog the competition, you know, and it can only happen with speed and going with the platform thinking. So let me go a little bit deeper into how we are doing these three things, you know. So the SIOP, I think Raja mentioned about supply chain. I'll probably take it even expanded when you talk about, uh, you know, supply, inventory, and operation planning. It has become a CEO imperative me, our executive team and CEO, we talk every day about how can we look at these disrupting forces, you know, uh, the shipping container shortage, uh, the semiconductors just not being available. So as like many companies, we also grew out of a lot of acquisitions. And Raja mentioned that the ERP journey takes time. So we have a lot of fragmented systems, uh, the part numbers are different, the part numbers keep proliferating. In that world, how do you take that planning cycle, create a consensus demand, and drive not only your material planning, but also your capacity planning? You know, so this has become more of a CapEx discussion with the CFO and CEO as to where we see the demand, which are the profitable segments of the demand. And this is where IT comes very, very, playing this front and center role, you know. If you can connect these systems and take people out of their comfort zones because of the fragmented nature where everybody was relying on this spreadsheet and without waiting for a two, three-year-old long ERP modernization roadmap, can I bring innovative business intelligence solutions that can really give some relief? So things that used to take weeks with a lot less credence on data now we can do in minutes. We can look at our demand patterns and find out which are the long lead item semiconductors. By connecting this ERP system on the cloud solutions, now our planners can look 12 to 18 months. They can now develop secondary sources. At this point, people are getting more empowered making decisions based on data. What should we in-source? How far should we go in vertical integration? So all of those discussions that were like very painful, people did not have the right answers, IT, by playing the role of the assembler, the innovation is playing an absolutely uh, you know leading role. Second thing we are doing is uh, we do a lot of engineering in-house. Now we change the game there we want to digitize our thought process right from the point where we collect the customer requirements gone are the days where you put these requirements into a pdf file or a visual document now we want to digitize each document and start build a platform thought in our day-to-day business so taking all of these designs and creating a model-based systems engineering that can really promote a lot of reuse, and make sure that what we are designing is ready to be manufactured in an automation way. So, from design engineering to DFM and DFMa is one of our competitive advantage now, and we really want to take it to next level where we want to incentivize people by not the number of lines of code they write, but amount of reuse. Because once you promote reuse it actually makes your products much more safe because they are well tested. So it's a journey. We're quite excited about, uh, you know, where we are and to Nickel's point, our mindset is how do we leapfrog with the right data quality by democratizing the data and making sure that every Johnson employee has access to information. We don't want them to spend time in discovering information today. They spend 80% time in going through spreadsheets, PowerPoint, emails. We want to turn it on its head, where you spend less than 20% in collecting information, but 80% on analyzing information. So quite exciting. Uh, So absolutely good time to be in IT. And I'd love to hear from our other panelists now.
1: Great. Thanks. Thanks, Raman. I love the fact that you're focusing on data because we keep on saying that Anybody who he's missing the trick of the entire technology journey. So lo- love the whole democratization of data and the uh, leapfrogging mindset. Uh, Mani, uh, if you would want to talk about your know, journey at Olam.
4: Yeah, so thanks, Nigel. Uh, I am Mani and I'm the president and group CIO for Olam. Uh OLAM is about thirty-five billion company spread in about 60 countries. Uh, operating in agri and uh, food space, uh, somewhat similar to Cargill. Um, And unlike Cargill, we are a little bit newbie to the industry. We are only 33 years old in this industry. Um, And uh, so um, I look after the entire global technology stream. So when um, our digitizations journey started in way back in 2016. It wasn't an afterthought of something uh, because we clearly recognize uh, much early that uh, digitization is the only way to go. Therefore, we call ourselves as digital volant right now. And uh, what we understood at that time is that the digitization uh, is as the ability not only to transform your internal business operations or a business model, it can transcend beyond the boundaries to transform the entire ecosystem. So, therefore, when we had a, a digital strategy back in 2016, we decided we are not going to focus on one, two, three areas. We want to have a strategy that is an end to end digitization, starting from our leftmost of our value chain, that is farmers. Up to the rightmost of our value chain, that's our customers, and then digitize everything in between. So, with that uh, big, tall ambition, uh, we actually launched uh, quite a bit of platforms, uh, ground up, uh, as around 10 platforms we launched it. Uh, on the farmer side itself, or the, or the leftmost of the value chain itself, we launched about four platform, starting from managing the entire farmer's land for the traceability and sustainability, because that is the biggest challenge in the agri industry, uh, to track the entire farmlands, fertilizers, carbon footprints, etc, etc. Then also to launch the platform to provide farmers services, because farmers have a very poor livelihood. To increase the livelihood, we launched uh, a farmer services platform. For example, today we have just in India alone over 6 million farmers in that platform today. And we also uh, launched a disintermediation remediation platform whereby from a farmer up to OLAM before the product comes, it changes hands about three, four people. We wanted to disintermediate and increase the livelihood of farmers, at the same time increase the uh, profitability of Ollam. Uh, that also we launched, and then finally, Still, there will be quite a bit of suppliers. It is, it is inevitable in the industry. We also want to digitize the entire ecosystem. So from the leftmost value chain, using these four products, we completely digitize. Within Wellam. obviously, we have one of the most modern, anyway, progressive technology landscape, fully on SAP global template, you know uh, Salesforce, CRM, everything we use. Uh, beyond that, purely on a digitization layer, Uh, what we did is that we have a lot of remotest warehouses. It's a perennial problem of this industry, Uh, thousands of warehouses we have. So we have launched digital warehousing platform for that. And then of course, Smart Factory Initiative we launched, which we are now taking it as a digital twin model, as well as we have a Smart Farm Initiative because we are one of the largest corporate farmers in the world, managing millions of hectares of land. And we have a precision forming what you call it as smartphones models using drones, image analytics, and you name it, IoT, etc. And that is also another thing we embarked on way back. And then from the new business model, new opportunities, we also launched two of the customer centric platforms to, to, to get more revenues and more customers into, into our business with the wall markets to connect the entire our customer base as well as the e-commerce platform. They're all very big. right? And then finally, one of the very innovative platform we launched is about sustainability traceability. From How can we do a traceability from farm to fork? Right? That's a vision we set up. It's called AdSource. And then that's something which uh, we have launched and that's doing well. So about 10 platform we done of course, and the advanced analytics become uh, core of uh, quite a bit of this initiative to power these initiatives. Since we started all of them in 2015 and then communication, everything we have much advanced. I can tell you two things happen. One is that uh, uh, we have zero disruption. We could do overnight uh, uh, shift to work from home across the globe with zero disruption. And uh, number two is that despite all the supply chain challenges, etc., we being a food industry, we had certain leeway, right? And the government leeways are available. We are able to leverage that plus also using all the digitization models we put in place, connecting our suppliers and our customers made us to adapt to the new world in a resilient way much easier and much faster. So as a result, apart from the very favorable market conditions, et cetera, uh, typically our business performance in the last two years is far, far superior to what it was before. In fact, the whole industry is doing pretty well uh, because of that. Going forward, it is very clear that uh, we are are clearly launched Engine engine 2.4 for digital, which is identified 11 technology trends that we identified in April 2020 itself that can transform the world. So we are implementing many of those things, as well as we are working on uh, engine 3.0, which is about how do we leverage deep tech model that is emerging in terms of uh, moving the entire agri and food operation into a very, very digital model. So in a nutshell, from uh, typically typically a technology which used to be a supporting thing is today one of the most important business value drivers for Malang.
1: Oh, got it thanks for sharing that zero operational disruption I I doubt you know you know there's there are a lot of companies out there who can, who can claim that so that's that's really well done and you know the fact that you started started early helped you get through this whole so that's that's really good. And on that cue, Amitabh, I'm curious to hear your views, right? Because one, internally as a telco, uh, being the lifeblood of the overall economy, helping people connect all the time, and then uh, one internally, and second, working with all kinds of customers. Uh, What was your experience, your organization, starter communications experience through the?
0: Thanks, thanks, Nikhil. Uh, uh, Firstly, uh, a quick introduction about myself. My name is Amitabh Sarkar. I have been in the technology industry for about 20 plus years. And currently I head the Asia Pacific business for Tata Communications across sales, solution engineering and customer success for all industry verticals and customers in the region. I'm, I'm, I'm actually delighted to be part of this discussion and listening to Nikhil, uh, uh, Raja, Raman and Mani, I think there is a common thread which comes out here uh, which is underpinning the digital resiliency and i was taking down notes across finding common threads across three different industries where we have so if i took if i look at it uh, three things stand out for me uh, one is extreme automation uh, the second is digital resilience and platform story becomes a boardroom discussion no longer an it domain only uh, the third is hyper connected ecosystem raman talked about ecosystem money spoke about, farmers, Uh, Raja spoke about its customers, customers, customer, right? So that hyper-connected ecosystem, which is embedded with with a strong AI, ML, and deep data analytics to drive those discussions along the table with the board and from an investment standpoint. Uh, If I look at, and, and I think Nikhil, you said, there are two parts to the question you asked. One is the internal prep in terms of managing or or going through this and the second is how are we helping our clients so i think uh, uh, as i think everybody has said as accelerated paths to the fundamental digital change and i and, and all of us see that there is a defined operating model change with respect to the transformation driven with the clients if i look at if i look at tata communications the exam question during was how do we enable our people our employees to collaborate using tools and technologies to deliver that seamless experience innovation to our customers in the hybrid world where 98% of our employees were working from home in a geographically dispersed uh, locations huge challenge right but i think i think as as leadership we we got together uh, this involved stronger customer centricity uh, through formation of customer success teams Sharpness and product as the focus shifts to digital platforms and solutions, and bringing efficiencies globally through automation and the right operating model. So I think that's the that's the internal part, Nikhil, if if I if you will. Uh, and how do we assess where have we gone from what we were in 2020 and now? I think these have started to deliver results, and that are evident from our achieving benchmark levels of NPS scores of 80 in 2021. And you would agree with me, uh, Nikhil. Uh, this is a top drawer NPS course across any industry, leave alone telcos, right? Uh, so, so I think that's that's the first part. The second part is with respect to the journey or future of enterprise. I think when I talk to the CxOs and the board, uh, four 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 things come out to in my mind, which are which are perhaps and it was uh, you know echoed by the fellow panelists uh, from from Raman, from Raja, and, and Mani also. I think there is, there is a clarity on realignment to hybrid working. In APAC, that is the, going to be the way of life, right? And, and, and all your strategies with respect to IT, network, business, has to align to that. The second is with the digitalization, companies mm-hmm. are now exposed to cyber risks than ever before. So enhanced cybersecurity becomes the second block, right? And there are enough studies where CEOs have talked about that is the most pressing concern on, on, on their table today than anything else. Mm-hmm. I think the third thing, and it could it could pan across a, a B2B company or a B2C company, doesn't matter, strengthening omni-channel model. I think evidenced by many studies, there are business leaders who have locked, stock, and barrel moved to online side of the commerce, right? Hence build their technology stack, delivering those customer outcomes for theirs and the finally is i think again uh, 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 raman uh, raja and, and and money stand understand this better than anybody else optimizing supply chains right most studies have suggested there is an emphasis on building resilient digitalized supply chain by leveraging those exponential technologies around cloud ai iot and deep analytics i think that's the that's the broad context of both sides of the story and and in 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 uh, in the engagements which we have, we have with the clients, uh, we have we have transformed ourselves. And I just I'll just leave with one example here. Uh, in in the in the media world, media and entertainment industry, during most of us are love sports. Uh, globally, you know, we changed our model. We changed our thinking to distribute content when traditional sports were already on hold, right? So we helped sports federations to adapt and quickly distribute content based on virtual sports and esports. So that's a transformation on the fly. And I think the organizations which are built grounds up with those models I think successfully wade through it. I think that's that's the, that's the a view uh, Nikhil I would have.
1: Right. Thank, thanks a lot Amitabh. I'm, it's, it's great to hear viewpoints from both the sides, right? As a, as a service provider and also as a customer. Uh, so, I mean I think one of the things that does come through is that you know as we move on to the next segment we uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about was what was the impact of the on your technology spend right uh, and I think there's a consensus across the board that you know it's not conservative it's not been neutral at least all the participants that we have here it's it's actually been aggressive uh you know some of you spoke about uh moving or treating this as an opportunity, uh, leapfrogging the competition, uh, digitizing that farm to fork journey, the zero disruption, or the whole digital supply chain and digital progress. Uh, and uh, Amitabh, to your point, you mentioned you know some of the technologies that you mentioned very broadly uh, around cloud, AI, uh, data analytics, and some others that we've seen organizations invest in uh, a lot more are around security, so cloud security. Uh, or network security uh, collaboration is another one iot software defined networking uh, and you know as we move around edge services is something that organizations mentioned about i think the last survey that we did about one third of organizations are looking to adopt uh, some sort of edge services over the next uh, 12 to 24 months so I mean, next question is you know to to you uh, as we move through what are some of those areas that you are looking to invest more and if you could give some color around what does that changed uh, change technology spend look like is it like a 5% increase or a 25% increase without going into you know i'm sure there's a there's a lot you cannot share but whatever color you can give around your technology spend uh, and amita we can start with you in terms of what
0: would that be uh, yeah so so nikhil i think uh, just continuing from the conversation which we had in the first first segment of our discussion. Uh, So we, we, as a company, we we continue to be on the transformation journey to play a solid role as as a digital ecosystem enabler. What I mean by that is building a digital fabric on which our customers, regardless of industry, can build a secure, connected digital experiences. So we see huge opportunities and 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 my, my and driving growth in Asia Pacific in this area is my top priority. Now, now let's look at let's look at I mean uh, the investments inside the organization is 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 uh, is symbolic of what our clients are doing in the market. right? So so we spoke to companies across APAC, and I think enterprises across Asia Pacific uh, uh, have been in the sweet spot of capturing growth in their respective industries. And our research, and you also alluded to that, shows clearly pre-investments made by the companies in APAC have helped them to be a leading digital trailblazers, what we call, versus their Western counterparts. And what I mean by digital trailblazer is is are the kind of companies. With with most advanced digital operating models, connectivity platforms, and strategies that ensure secure and trusted operations, and that is what we do with our client clients today. And I would be I would be encouraged to state the organization's technologies has been uh, a spend has been without getting into numbers is neutral to aggressive, right? And and that's that's mimics or that mirrors what our clients are doing across all industries. Uh, Point which I would like to, re, I mean, put on the table, and I think uh, Raman, Mani, and Raja can and, and give us insights there too. I think the boards and the CEO CEOs today are approving projects which are based on the financial principles of a very sharp ROI, a significant reduction in TCO, and improved cost ratios. Uh, you know that the cheap, faster, cheaper, faster, better paradigm, and that's the that's the mantra for innovation. We can we can put any technology around it, unless it becomes cheaper, it becomes faster, it becomes better. It doesn't solve the business problem. Uh, so, so, from, and, and so that's the financial part of it. And if you look at the technology perspectives, the experience which I, I see in the, talking to, to, to our clients, uh, initiatives are, that are being approved for investments are anchored around building a strong digital strategy. What I mean by that is, I see investments in building foundationally strong digital fabric, a digital platform across, across infrastructure, applications, embedded with AI and ML. And AI ML is no longer a theory. It's in the workflow today, in the in the company's workflows. And then, then finally, all these converge to a customer experience platform, which, which provides differentiated experience to its business or its business's customers. So, so, so I think, I think that's the broad part and the, and the last element to it, which I think the clients are wanting, uh, are looking for a managed services partner with the complexity involved now by, by digital, digitalizations and complex ecosystem, there is a, there is a need which I see in the market for, for clients for a managed managed services partner who can help orchestrate across multiple solutions, simplify the governance and reduce the overall TCO across the IT and the network. I think that's the, that's the broad context, uh, Nikhil, which I see from, from my part.
1: Perfect. Thanks. Thanks, Amitabh. Cheaper, faster, better. And, you know, Raman, Raja, Mani, feel free to jump in, in terms of what are those technologies that are helping you, helping you get there?
3: I think Amita made quite a few good points, you know, uh, the number one thing, you know, it's all becoming about the value, you know, so if you have that dialogue and everybody in my IT team got to understand the basic finance, you know, where do we want to, uh, you know, spend money and get the return on the capital that we're investing, people need to understand what an inventory turn reduction means, how can I help my CFO bring the working capital down? Unless we speak their language, you know, everybody's under so much pressure, you just cannot come with like, hey, it has to be within the context. So one thing that we are doing, we have kind of taking a bottom-up approach, you know. How can I make my manufacturing, which is the bread and butter for us, much more efficient and very, very standardized, you know? Mm-hmm. So in in the old times, you know, there are a lot of spreadsheet on the plant floors, different processes. Now we want to be very, very greedy and collect this data from the PLCs and really make it very, very automated. So you can collect a lot of structured data. What we are also interested in is getting out for the non-structured data, the waveforms, where are the failure points coming in? And can I bring that failure point in my when I'm going from raw material to semi-finished assemblies to finished goods, if i can predict a failure early on it can be lot less costly so we are talking the language of our chief operating officer that when i talked to him i said how can it help you in reducing the first time yield problem you know where you are scrapping the material and how do we collect that data and that's where collecting this data pipeline from very Small cycle times, you know, some of time, some of our uh, cycle times when we make these millions of motors every day, we are turning from raw material to finished goods under 10 seconds. So IT cannot come and add more to cycle time. So this is where the resiliency of the networks, uh, what to capture at what point, and find the right balance between the edge computing and cloud computing, where you're collecting the data, bringing enough intelligence on the edge without disrupting the flow and collecting this data, bringing it on the cloud, doing some heavy duty machine learning models and finding the right inferences that can come back into the edge devices. And that's where we are expanding the role of IT. We are talking about ML Ops. We are talking about the importance of data quality. You know? So anytime I talk to my board or my CEO, if I hit the three check marks, improving the data quality, improving the reuse of our information assets and making the processes standard across our multiple factories across the globe. I think those initiatives go a lot quickly. You know, people understand the value. And at Johnson, I've actually banned the word POC. We call them POVs, proof of value. Anything that my team is doing has to add some value to the business. There has to be a business champion, making the noise yes i want it they need to thumb the tables for me and that's where i think the good things start to happen so a lot of hands-on work a lot of uh, you know really new way of doing things but still going to the fundamentals of improving the data quality has been our mantra
1: right thanks thanks raman i think that's I and mean, that's the that's the whole crux of a lot a lot of things right data democratization what do you do with data and how do you use that data internally and externally uh, Money, Raja.
4: Yeah, so I can possibly give two cents of mine, uh, more from a Olam perspective. At least since 2010, we have been a very aggressive spender of spender on technologies, and uh, year on year we spend more than 20% increase. So, and I don't see that is slowing down for us, at least for next five years. We never know after what happens after five years. So we'll continue to be an aggressive spender on technology part of it, but not a, a sort of, you know, spend for the sake of spending, right? We will be obviously responsible spender as well. Uh, so I, I personally think that is what the story that is clearly coming out for me in the next, uh, let's say three to five years time is that the, the, the topics of automation, optimization, and digitization is certainly moving for me into a hyper-automation scale, hyper-optimizations, and hyper-digitizations. Right? So uh, you know, you, I did talk about this. We have already identified 11 technology 10 that can transform the world because of we are working on that, deep tech, we are looking at it, various things. Quite a bit of all this, uh, the edge computing, which Raman talked about. Or, uh, we are actually getting into software defined everything, uh, network or not, just only on that. It will be a two, three year journey for us, but quite a bit we have already done, like you know, hyper-convergence infrastructure to hybrid cloud, everything else we have done already. So, uh, there are quite a bit of things on our plate in terms of how do you move towards self-healing models in terms of infrastructure, right? How do we take our current automations and optimization to a very different level? We already done quite a bit of automation as well as the supply chain optimization, but there is a lot more opportunities uh, with what Amitav talked about in terms of leveraging the advanced analytics or AI tools. Those are the opportunities that is presenting in front of us. And then uh, the even more optimization and digitization opportunities that is going to throw in front of us because of metas of the world or the blockchains of the world, or even for that matter, very soon we may see quantum computing becoming a mainstream. So all those things are going to be a lot of opportunities, especially quantum. I do believe, given the agri-industries the macroeconomic models that is very difficult to solve with current computing power, quantum computing will solve for each of us, not only for volam well, even for Cargill and others as well. So there is a lot, lot more stuff in the next five years. And while a lot of industries leveraging digital made so much of transformation, I do believe agri and food sector, has the maximum transformation opportunities in the next uh, five to seven years' time. And uh, we are going to be bang on that to make sure that we get the bang for the buck. And I'll just close with only one thing I know. I don't believe in ROI project-to-project basis because that's the most ridiculous thing which IT attempted to do, in my opinion. I think we have to see the overall value we deliver, right? In technology, there will be some places it is necessary you will to spend. There are some places it will give you value. But you cannot distinguish them. You have to combine it together. Therefore, overall value, as long as we are delivering in terms of your whatever the business growth or business values, etc., uh, that is, uh, in my view, that should be perfectly fine. it is, uh, uh, is been clearly, I have always worked on this model so far.
1: Yeah, thanks for that. Definitely, more people like you in the industry. On that note, Raja, what what about uh, Cargill in terms of you know the specific technologies and you know what's been the areas? Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, I like that. How money say that I don't believe in ROI. I I think that is also resonate to us in the sense that we put that under the future foundation ready because it's not able to justify now. But at some point, you will see the benefit of it, right? So, um, like ERP modernization, that continues the investment, right? So we're spending a lot of bucks into that. I can't give a number or percentage, but I can generally say that where that uh, most of the spend will be happening, right? Um, modernizing our infrastructure core. Uh, what do I mean by that? It is we already spend a lot to transform our wide area network to become a software software-defined uh, wide area network, and uh, TataCom is part of the journey. So uh, we are working together with them in this journey for past two years now. We are about to complete in next couple of months, we have completed about 200 sites across Asia. Uh, so thanks for TataCom for that to have a close partnership and the trust uh, that they are building with us on that one. Um, cyber cybersecurity continue to become an, another investment area. But most importantly, it is on the smart manufacturing. This is a program globally has been driven. Um, We don't do a technology for sake of technology. Like we don't call IOT. You want to implement IOT. We won't call it AI ML. But I think I agree with Raman's point. It's about what value, what problem we're trying to solve there and then bring that technology as the solution rather than starting with that technology as the driver but we bring what is the business problem we're trying to solve, and then we bring the what technology that's able to help them. So these are the high-level um, areas that um, we're going to spend the money on, but that uh, doesn't mean that this itself change that way that we are spending is probably speeding up um, and this continued focus of transforming our, our Cargill to a digital agriculture supply chain company.
1: Yeah. got it. Thank, thanks for that. I think you, you brought up a really interesting point that you know naturally moves us to the third topic of discussion. Because one thing that we uh, saw across the region was that in, in a lot of this technology adoption, right, uh, the networks got left behind. Uh, in a lot of cases for organizations, they were investing in cloud. They were investing in uh, creating those smart environments uh, and other areas. Uh, and on that that road, networks got left behind, and they started becoming bottleneck on this journey. And then we, and as a result, what we've been talking internally uh, and having these discussions with organizations like yourself is how uh, network transformation and uh, the overall future enterprise digital resiliency journey they go hand in hand. They're not one after the other. So just wondering, you know, in terms of your uh, your experience within your organization you believe one what do you think of the uh, or your organization's preparedness as it comes to the comes to the networks to support your overall digital enterprise uh, and digital resilience journey maybe we can start with uh, raman you there
3: oh definitely yeah i think uh, the networks are the lifeline of an, any company and i've been very fortunate uh, to really take this journey into the software-defined networks. And the only caution I'll give to my uh, fellow listeners, uh, if you have a high blood pressure, uh, then choose a less risky sport because you have to have a lot of support all the way from your CEO if you're changing the entire network. Because you know there's always a cost element. The MPLS network of those old days, fixed price, fixed cost, a lot of overhead, they are not going to cut in the modern workplace. So. You need networks. In fact, you know, if you look, the internet is becoming the corporate network now. With all of this built-in resiliencies, multi-path selections, you can dynamically select what part of load on which application onto which cloud. It all can be driven by the machine learning and the optimized traffic routing. I see it in a three-prong approach. Number one, the network continue to drive the cost down. This is probably, if I look at my budget, is probably the first, you know, the top three items on an enterprise budget. So there's definitely a cost play. Actually with cost play, you're getting better technology. So the transaction loads are continuing to increase. Every company is going into multi-cloud, hybrid cloud strategy. So the networks have to support that. Second thing that plays a very big role is in the collaboration. I think Amitabh talked about it. Money talked about it, uh, Microsoft Teams, Zoom, they have become IT's banner. You know, when I talk to my business partners and they say how seamlessly we were able to change our behavior, you know, relying on hundreds of emails every day. Now people go on Teams channels, the entire collaboration climate has improved drastically. And people see that. The third thing which is important is the cybersecurity. And this is where if you have the modern network, gone are the days where you put all of these policies into the fixed hardware appliances, You know your proxy settings, your antivirus, they all need to live in the cloud where the provider, the managed service provider is watching not just Johnson, but thousands of other customers and looking at what threats are coming in. And before I knowing they are plugging those holes. I'll give an example. Uh, Sometime back, we found that how you have to keep up to date. There's a setting in one of our cybersecurity network provider that if there's a new domain that gets registered, and that's where the malware, you know, ransomware threat comes more often because they get into your environment, and first thing they have to do is to call their mothership. That's what the you know, their command and control center on their computer. So, more often than not, these bad players are so smart they will register a new domain that can go under the radar. If you have a policy that can put a pause and not let anybody or any of your traffic go to that domain, and it becomes an exception, how valuable that setting is. So as a CIO, you need to keep an eye on what are the innovations that are happening there. So software-defined networks, huge cost play, much better technology better user satisfaction and improved cybersecurity. I think it's all good, but as an organization, you need to make the right partner choice and have the full commitment from your executive team. Without that, it will become very, very painful because for a network, there's no test environment. There's only one network. So working, how you take the downtime from different plants, the manufacturing schedules, minimize the outages, proven roadmaps will go a long, long way.
1: Thanks, Raman. You yeah. covered quite a bit there, and if you can also share, uh, you know, a roundup of how we talk about what you think about networks, and then uh, what's what's next for you in the next twelve to twenty-four months, and then we could wrap this up. Uh, so, well, Raja, you were saying something. Sorry to cut you off.
2: No, just to build on the topic that uh, what Raman has mentioned, uh, but I think your question is slightly different, though but i just finish my thought process there, oh, right? So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think I, I, I would uh, agree with a lot of point that uh, what Raman mentioned. Uh, we in this ST event journey, like uh, two and a half years ago, definitely there's a saving, at least in Asia, we have about 28 percentage saving from what uh, we used to run with the NPLS uh, technology. Um, and that we will realize that once we completely get rid of our NPLS network and that will provide a bigger bandwidth for the business and the resiliency. So by design, we make every single site, 200 site, as a dual link site by, by default. That's, that's given. So now, nowadays, the dialogue is not about whether my link is up, how much I want to spend. It's given. The business already given that network will be up. So let's focus on how we do that digital transformation for the business system, instead of talking about the foundation stuff. So, so that is entirely changing because of the decision that we made like four, or five years ago, and now we are reaping the benefit. And this is the point about the return on investment that Mani mentioned just now. So we are seeing the value now, but when we talk about that five years ago, people don't see the value. So that is one. The, um, the second thing is that I think because of the uh, agriculture supply supply chain business, we need to look at the, some of the lessons learned, how we can have more robust technology, not just relying on that. Uh, a cable network, like for example, can we explore on the OneWeb, Starlink? You know, all those the latest technology that we have, that that going to help. Like you know, I'm sure that uh, money in the same industry we are in the palm plantation, we know that the challenges in those locations where we difficult to get the infrastructure there, right? So those are some of the challenges that uh, we we have seen. But in terms of a preparedness, yes, I think we are much better than a couple of years back. But still got a long way to go um, to make sure that we get this complete the last uh, miles that we have to uh, go.
4: Yeah. So yeah. one one quick uh, addition on that. Absolutely, we said uh, both of you. Um, <clears throat> so it, the traditional MPLS, all those WAN, etc., is anyway going to be dead. And then with the emergence of 5G's, and uh, we already see. 6G already in design stage, getting towards a near zero latency kind of network. It's, I, I think the maximum transformation is going to happen in the world around the network. Maximum transformation is going to be driven because of network also. That is that's one. And so there are one one important thing that has happened is that the topic of virtual office, which used to be going. To, you know, going uh, forward and back and etc. Because of it is going to be happening, right? Now the hybrid workplace is going to be a standard now. Therefore, network uh, you know gets a much more important significance with communication and all the other stuff. And then one important problem with the network world had was about this open standards. You know, most often you will find if you look at today's network you have to put Cisco out there and you have to put a Cisco out there, you know, both sides. At least I see there is a major initiative happening, what is called as Open RAN, where all the telecom guys are coming together to build a very open standard network. High time, they should have done 10 years back, at least now it's happening. So I think all this thing, if you put it together, I think maximum opportunities and transformation in network, as well as, Transformations across
1: is going to be driven by network. That's what I would think. Thanks, Mani. I like how you flipped it around, that it's not that networks are being transformed because of the journey, it's the networks that are transforming and uh, accelerating some of that journey. Mitha, we can't get away talking about networks without hearing you, so.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think it's very well summed up. And I think uh, you know, the seat of transformation happening on the network side uh, and I think Raman made some very important points. And my takeaway from from uh, the last five to seven minutes, what we were discussing on, is is as a service provider, it was so heartening to hear money and Raja echoing the same that ROI throw ROI out of the window. And and this is not the 20 year old, 30 year old capex heavy model. Uh, I have been consulting to the telcos for the longest period of time to move from an EBITDA to an EBIT model because that's the way you will drive services and innovation. Uh, but I think that's, that's a story for another day. But the point over here is uh, when you have to do network transformation, as far as we are concerned, and I think, Nikhil, you articulated in the first slide, the organizations are reevaluating network architectures to accelerate their digital transformation journey. I think that's the sum. And I think what, what Raman said, what Raja said, and as well as Mani, echoes the statement. We as an organization, obviously our network is a core differentiator. Uh, this coupled with our knowledge of, of the new digital world sets us apart from the other players. Our digital ecosystem, which which we which Mani also spoke about, and Raman also talked about, our understanding and the nuances of connectivity and networking, which is expertise on the cloud, the unified communication platforms, the IoT and the security and the extensive partnerships which we have with with the with the with the players in the market with our own positioning, I think that 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 puts us in a pretty much in a front and center in a driver's seat to drive the digital transformation journey with our clients.
1: Right. Uh, thanks, Amitab. Very very well summed up. So just be, just before we go right to wrap up, if I can go the go across the room and ask each of you to mention one thing that you, that you want uh, the enterprise customers or the organizations and the CIOs and the uh, executives listening to this call to take away from this discussion. According to you, what would that one thing be? And we could start with you, Raja. I, I think
2: while we have a lot of good technologies and the plan and the ideas, I think sometimes we overlook on the talent. Right? Um, talent play a crucial role and we are too focused on the technologies and value. All these are great, but I think where I'm sitting is that always and, you know, we need to think think about how we can engage them, retain them, develop them. So that is a, one biggest challenge, continue to be a challenge uh, with this um, in, industry that we are in at the time that we are in. Raman,
1: what's, what's that one thing that you want people to take away from this session?
2: What I would say,
3: the core job of IT is to make the non-linear business world as much linear as possible. Take the shocks out, which are coming to us, as I mentioned, the three uh, the supply chain in the containers and the uh, semiconductors, and add the fourth one to that labor shortages now, right? And what's happening in the geopolitical. So these things will keep coming. So IT's job is to make these non-linear events and bring them so we can react faster. Our business need to trust us. We need to earn that trust, that IT understand the business context. They are an equal partner and rolling up their sleeves. I mean, most times when we talk within our EC, you can't tell who's the supply chain uh, uh, VP or who's the IT person. We are all rolling up our sleeves and solving the problems. That mindset is very important. I tell people know the business context, follow the money, how enterprise makes money, look at the ecosystem and come prepared. Don't throw jargons, but talk a language which a plant manager can understand and appreciate. That's the bottom line.
1: Great, thanks Raman. Non-linear to linear. Uh, Money.
4: Yeah, so I will just say one sentence uh, as an advice. uh, Watch out. Uh, tech is no more a support, tech is not even an enabler, a digital or technology interchangeably. Technology has become today a clearly a business driver. So I'm I'm cautioning or telling that, eventually technology is the only business. So therefore, watch out if we, technology has to be embedded into the entire business operating model. Otherwise, I don't think anyone can survive.
1: I uh, completely agree. Every business is a technology business.
0: Uh, Amitabh? Yeah, I think uh, uh, very well put, firstly, uh, Raman uh, Mani. Uh, so I think my takeaway from this session is, is an important lesson. right? For, for, for us to be, to be essential and be relevant to, 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 to uh, our customers, it's important the value proposition we develop and build is is partnership led first? Second, it is outcome led. When I say outcome, it's no longer SLA driven. It's a business outcome led. Am I solving a time to market issue of Raman? Am I solving a, a farm to fork problem, which which money and and and, and Raja Ali, you know explained? So it's it's a so you know outcome based partnership led led. And it's all driven around the hyper-connected ecosystem which is built around network and security. I think that's my takeaway. If these four things fall into place and has the paradigm of, of making sure it is better and innovative, it will, it will make the cut to the board.
1: So on, on that note, uh, I'd like to thank all of you um, for, your, for your participation. This was a really good discussion. Uh, and the only thing I would like to say is I think money you summed it up really well there. You know, every business is a technology business and if you are not doing it it's your competitor who is doing it think about this as you move along your your future enterprise and digital resilience journey thanks a lot again gentlemen